Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You knew they had a, they had a bunch of guys closed last year. You know, it's the Tampa Bay, the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, this is what they do. I like that. I like that call out, you know, uh, especially the being carted at a bar thing. That was some great words from Little Cheesecake right there. Welcome, players, to the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show, the show that catches you called third strike looking. I'm your home plate umpire, David Mendelson, here with my two managers who I will most likely eject sometime during the podcast, Eric Mendelson. What's going on, everyone? Uh, just I'm going to go Bobby Cox style before you eject me. <laughs> and then Art Tornabetti, a.k.a. Lil Cheesecake. <laughs> I'm going like that Braves minor league manager who went crazy on the umpire. That's who I want to go out like. Is that the one that stole second base and just walked out with it? Yeah. Yeah, he, he had the most epic rant of all time. It was amazing. Yeah. He's a legend. I, I, you could just, if, if I could read his lips or get some audio of that, it would make my week. I, I, I would love to hear what he said. Because he's, he's holding his hands up like, like the pitch was this far outside. The pitch was this far outside. <laughs> And, uh, oh, my God, it's, it's the best. That's how I'm going out. You try to kick me out, I'm going to make your day worse, David. That's how it works. Yeah, but we have to go back to your name, Little Cheesecake. Uh, yeah. So I want to make a poll when this pod comes out that that should be your pod nickname for the rest <laughs> of the time this pod is around because that is just too good of a name. <laughs> the, and, if the, and if they vote that they want it to be your nickname, it has to stick. <laughs> little cheesecake it was it was the last thing you ate little little co- plus the last thing you ate is your rap name so i was little cheesecake and i think yeah I, I think it i think it pops a little bit i think it pops. I, I, I love i was like damn how did i not think of something like that <laughs> <laughs> so we we're gonna put out a poll on this uh, the day this uh, this pod comes out so we're gonna see if that name's gonna stick yeah i um, hope it does but uh, speaking of, of listeners and everything, uh, before we, we get on with our, the rest of what we're talking about today, uh, we did get a couple new ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Ryan Light uh, from the Quarantine Football Podcast, we really appreciate your five-star rating. Thank you so much. Yancey Eden, uh, really appreciate your kind words and that uh, the new listenership you're going to give us. We hope to keep providing that fire emoji content that you referenced to. So, um Keep if you guys leave us five star reviews, we're really happy and want to make sure we acknowledge you guys. So appreciate it, and we're gonna to try to keep that uh that fire content coming. No doubt. That being said, on deck we have bold predictions. Dun dun dun. Each of us are gonna make 
the bold and the beautiful predictions if we have a baseball season. After that, no question or game this week because we have an interview with current Angels bullpen weapon, Ty Butchery. We had a great interview with him that we're very excited for you all to listen to. But first, we want to get to our news and notes. News and notes, MLB Draft Day. Right now, as we're recording, MLB Draft is uh, is going on. There are a few picks in. And as far as that, the first pick, Spencer Torkelson went to the Tigers' first baseman that they're going to convert to third base. And I think there are close to 10 picks in. So I'm not going to bore you guys with the pick-by-pick analysis. But do you guys get pumped over the MLB Draft, Art? I mean, I, I, I get pumped when I see – when the I used to get pumped when the Cubs were high up in the draft. Um, I don't follow college baseball as closely as I should, and I'm going to start doing that because I, I have a goal to try and get better on prospects, trying trying to increase my knowledge of who's coming up through the minor leagues. Uh, so this is the first year I'm really really on the draft uh, want, as it's going. But you know, I'm 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 hoping to to get to know these guys as they go up through the through the through the organizations and. And uh, I can, you know, get a solid opinion on them before they become big leaguers. Eric, I'm going to go over under five seconds on you. I'm going the under that you watched five seconds of the MLB draft. That's correct. If you think (laughs) about it, it's a little uh, depressing that kids younger than you are getting paid more money than you ever will make in your life. The thing about the MLB draft that's tough is – there's high picks like Dustin Ackley and Luke Hojaber that never work and are really touted up. And a lot of times someone like a fifth round pick hits. So once they get in the minors and start working their way up, it's cool seeing their highlights now and especially the top rated players. But I can't say I follow it too closely either. I also think in today's day and age, um, there are a lot of guys that are hitting at higher parts in the draft just because they have so many analytics and metrics that they're counting in college. And I think that they have a lot more better scouting information on these guys. So even if these guys don't turn into all-stars, I think they still turn into productive players. So that's one thing I do keep an eye on when these guys get drafted. I was, I was actually looking, and it's, it's interesting. There have only been four number one overall picks that didn't actually ever play in the big leagues. And two of them were left-handers drafted right out of high school. There have only been three left-handers Draft, uh, drafted number one overall right out of high school, and two of them never made it to the made it to the show. So I thought that was an interesting thing. You know, as you're getting all the draft, you get these interesting news and notes from other people. I thought I'd pass that one along to y'all. Oh, well, that's good little bit of nuggets there from Art. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, our next bit of news and notes we have: Major League Baseball Players Association has sent a counterproposal to the league which will call for 89 games at prorated salaries and expanded playoffs, ESPN's Jeff Passan reports. In 25 fewer games than the 114-game proposal, the union last sent in 13 games more than MLB's 76-game proposal uh, sent out on Monday. The league's proposal only guaranteed players 50% of their prorated salaries with an additional 25% should a 16-team postseason be played to completion. This offer was quickly declined by the league. The new number of games does bring the midpoint to about an 82-game season, which was the original proposed number from the league. 
However, the union's proposal that contained the expanded 16 playoffs will be in both 20 and 21 will surely appeal to ownership as well. The players also are willing to commit to broadcast enhancements in which they will be regularly mic'd up to interact with the broadcast team during the gameplay. And that will coincide also with the non-high-risk players opting to not play during the COVID-19 pandemic. The last little wrinkle that's being added in is that apparently the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game could be at the conclusion of the World Series help create further revenue for teams, according to the Wall Street Journal's Jared Diamond. So there's a lot of information here. And we were talking about MLB not wanting to end the season later than September, the MLB Players Association having their season end, saying that they want it to end October 11th. So we know that there's going to be a lot of back and forth here. However, the bottom line is that if both sides cannot agree to uh, some kind of middle ground, Commissioner Rob Manfred has said he's prepared to basically do a 48-game season full prorated salaries. So it sounds like we're going to have a season none, regardless. It's just going to be a question of whether it's going to be 48 games or it's going to be closer to half a season. Um, so, Eric, I'm going to start with you. I don't know if we have any big rants today, but what do you make of this news? Does anything change that since we had this talk last week for you? I guess I'm a little more optimistic. But counting from today to the last day that Major League Baseball wants to have its regular season, September 27th, there's 109 days. So figure if they got a deal done tomorrow, that leaves them at least between probably 20 to 30 days to get ramped up and get the activity going, which means they wouldn't be able to do an 89-game season. I think even if they come together on the money, then what are you going to do if somebody tests positive? You know, how are you, are you going to do... What are you going to do for playoffs? Are you going to add the home run derby at the end? I think there's so many wrinkles that they have to do. And I think Manfred had to say that there is going to be a season. I don't trust him at all. Um, I, I mean, at this point, if he said there wasn't a season, that would look terrible on draft night. So I hope I'm wrong once again, but this doesn't really change much for me. Or right, what about you? It changes. It changes stuff for me from the sort of despair I felt after the 48 game offer compared to the, with the 114, uh, 48 game, 114, they moved, uh, management moved their number up, players moved their number down. They're, they're moving close to each other. Eric is hundred percent right though. They have to get going on this or else they're not going to have enough time to actually play the games. I heard uh, I, Mike Carter on Twitter, he's a fantasy analyst, said that he had read that players are ready to start as early as Friday, start their spring training. So that gives me, I mean, take that for what you will. I'm not sure if he's getting that from some, from some player who said, I could go this Friday, or if there's somebody who's saying it's going to be done by Friday. Uh, my hope is that it is the latter. But it's true. Uh, there's se- if, if we get three weeks, there's 78 days until um, until the cutoff of September 27th. That is uh, that's not enough time to get 89 games unless you're playing a lot of doubleheaders. So I I I'm hopeful because they're moving closer, but I'm not hopeful because it's taking a long time because that's the other crunch that we're getting up against is. How can we get this season done by the time 
when management says it needs to be done. Um, I don't know. That was some great words from Little Cheesecake right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, when our, when Little Cheesecake talks, I definitely listen, man. That that I, <laughs> I think you guys are definitely hit the nail on the head. I, I think. We're at the point now where if, if nothing is done, we're definitely don't have enough time to get 89 games in it. Um, we, yeah, again, we don't. I'm sorry. Say I, our, I, I just, the one thing that struck, struck me, struck me was that mic'd up thing. I think that is a really cool wrinkle that the players threw in there. I would love to hear more mic'd up and, and I'm not sure I want to hear the inner them being interviewed while they're playing in the outfield or something like that. But I always love Miked Up. I will sit and watch Miked Up videos on YouTube. It's one of my favorite ways to just waste an hour or so. I would love to hear some Miked Up during the game. I would love it if we had more of that. I would love to hear it specifically when someone gets a hit and they're on first base and they're talking to the first baseman mm-hmm. saying, like, watch me steal a base right here or something like that, you know, where they talk trash. You know they're always talking some type of trash when they're on first base. And, you know, they, always, they talk about we need to – push the personalities of these players more, we would actually get to see their personalities a little bit better if we got to hear them a little bit more. Um, we would get to know, oh, you know, Joey Votto is really funny, you know, or, or so-and-so. I, like, I, don't, I just threw that out there. I don't know if he is. But, like, we would get to see their personalities a little bit better. I think it's a good, it's a good offer by the Players Association to uh, enhance their, their standing, enhance their marketability. They can't, you know, I can't agree with you more on anything you said. I think especially people are talking about how boring baseball is and that they want to speed up the game. They want to do this. They want to do that. We're in a kind of a time right now. Everybody wants to see personalities. They want to see excitement. Mm-hmm. And what better way than when during when there's a pitch sequence going on and people are waiting for the ball to be put into play, then you're hearing a guy in first base talking trash or you're hearing um, they have a guy that's at bat. And he's talking to himself, psyching himself up, or you know, whatever the case may be, things that people can focus on while the ball's not being put into play. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody's on that same page. And I think it's just a matter of when and not if. It's- We're going to move into our main segment for today. It is bold predictions. So. With bold predictions, each of us will be making three big, bad, bold predictions. And that when you're drinking a cup of coffee, you'll spit it out and angrily tweet at us. That would suck. The other two, not making the prediction, may chime in if they like it or if they think you partook in an illegal substance. At the end, (laughs) we'll have nine bold predictions made here at Triple Play Fantasy that we'll stand by. I will gladly gloat about it for right. We're going to bury on Twitter if we're wrong. So, gentlemen, are you ready? We're ready. Mm -hmm. All right, Eric, I'm going to have you start us off. What is your first bold prediction for the 2020 MLB season? So my first bold prediction, I've talked about him a few times on this show. I think Walker Buehler will be the number one starting pitcher. He had five games last year with with at least seven innings pitched, zero walks, and 10-plus Ks. So at the bare minimum, that's 31. There was a game where he had nine innings, gave up five hits, one earned in 15 Ks. I think his ceiling is so high. He had 215 strikeouts versus 37 walks last year, so great command. 
after after his first three starts where he built up his arm, he went five innings pitched at least in all but one game. He's going to get a lot of run support on that Dodgers offense. And I know the the worry is that, oh, he doesn't have a secondary pitch. But these players haven't seen a fastball in a while. Imagine him throwing the high heat. I think the pitchers will have an advantage to begin with. And the Dodgers have a championship window. It's a shortened season. I don't think they're afraid to ride him more if needed. Eric, I can't argue with that at all. Um, all right, what were you going to say? I just think that um, it's not that bold to say that Walker Bueller is going to be the top pitcher. He's going as the fourth pitcher right now. So he's got to jump. I mean, Garrett Cole got to jump. Uh, Jacob deGrom, um, he might actually be going as the third at this time. So I, I, I agree it's possible. I think the, the biggest thing that you're going to have to jump up against is, is, is he going to get the workload of those other starters? And the Dodgers have a lot of starters. They haven't really made let him go. They didn't let him go past 200 innings last year. So are they going to give him the workload to earn that top level uh, um, pitcher, that number one pitcher uh, designation? And I'm not sure they're going to. So that's my my only pushback on this. Eric, you also have to keep in mind, too, I feel like the Dodgers, as much as any team, are the type of team that plays with six or seven starters at times. Agreed. To limit innings. Agreed. But I think Kershaw is going to have a, a starting role for sure. And I think Walker Bueller. I think David Price could be a guy that maybe goes, you know, every fifth, sixth day. Doesn't have necessarily pitch as frequent as others, but they do it to save his arm. Same with Dustin Bay. Kentamite is not on the team. I think the first two or three pitchers for the Dodgers are solid starters. And then they kind of have interchangeable places. But I think if he needs to pitch on three days rest to secure a buy or a top seed, I could see the Dodgers doing that. Maybe we need to work on a bolder prediction next time. All right. Well, they get more bold. I got. I can't give away my most obvious at the start. All right. Ari, give us your first one. My first bold prediction is this year a relief pitcher will win the Cy Young Award for the first time since 2003 wow wow things got real real quick here's here's my argument they're gonna have a short uh short lead up to the season sort of a short ability for the pitchers to ramp up get their arms loosened up the thoughts are that that's gonna have starting pitchers only going four or five maybe six maximum for the first couple weeks of the season to ramp up like like an extended spring training for them. So they're going to be playing, throwing in more relief pitchers. I think the shortened season and that fact is going to mean the, the distance, uh, the difference in innings pitched uh, that, that, ha- that usually marks the starter to reliever is going to be lessened. I think, I, I mean, just also track back to this. I don't know how they're going to do awards, especially if they do the Central, West, and East I don't know if they're going to do a Cy Young for the Central, a Cy Young for the West, a Cy Young for the East, one for the whole thing, or if they're going to do like the old National League, the old American League Cy Young. So that's the caveat. But I, I, there hasn't been a relief pitcher to win the Cy Young Award since 2003. That's Eric Gagne. Uh, the last one before that was 1992, Dennis Eckersley. So this year, I, I think the best candidate is Josh Hader. I think especially... 
given the fact that it's a short season, they can lean on the top relievers a little bit more. 80, let's say they do get 89 games somehow in that window of time. Hader can throw in 40, 45 of them, maybe get 30 saves. You know, this is, this is the, the type of short run that a relief pitcher can be dominant for the whole time and not have to push himself for another 70, 80 games. I think that this is the year that we get a relief pitcher winning the Cy Young Award for the first time since 2003. Do you have a prediction for which relief pitcher that could be? I think it's going to be Josh Hader. If it's any, yeah, Josh Hader. Wow. I definitely, I can tell you this. I have not heard that anywhere yet. So that is very bold or I like it. Yeah, that's bold. And I like it. My only thing is I do think that their innings pitched are going to be similar to pitchers, but if there's a pretty condensed schedule, they're not going to pitch probably more than two days in a row. And so that's, that's, I guess, where I'd want to see how many games go in because let's say a pitcher starts out really well and doesn't kind of tail off at the later part of the season like a Jose Barrios. Their ERA and strikeouts, you know, could look very, very nice. You know, there's only two or three months. Well, let's think of something this for a second. So let's say in a regular 162-game season, if you consider to throw a lot of innings, it's 200 innings, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 48 games is about a quarter, a little over a quarter of the season. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about maybe the league leaders, 50 to 60 innings. Yeah. I think it's very realistic to expect that someone like Josh Hader to throw 50 to 60 innings, especially if he's getting, you know, two inning saves. He's pitching to six batters. You know? um, so that's why I think actually are not really far off and that that could happen because I it wouldn't be surprising for me if I see Josh Hader's in the top five in innings pitched in baseball this season. Or, stri- yeah. or, stri- or strikeouts because he strikes out so many. Right. Per, I, per I mean, I, I definitely think that it's better this year than any other. Yeah, there huh. hasn't been any – in the past three years, I looked it up, there's only been three relievers who even got votes for Cy Young. So I think that the voters are moving away from it. But I think if it's going to happen, this short and condensed season is the time it's going to happen. Can't disagree with you there. My first, my first pick here. This guy, uh, my first kind of bold prediction, I guess it. And again, you can argue if you feel it's bold or not, but I think Max Fried it will be a top ten starting pitcher this season. And I'm gonna plug my article real quick: attractions and avoidances for mid-round pitchers. If you haven't seen it, it's on the Triple Play Fantasy Twitter page. It's also on my page at Dimendio Two been a few days writing this article about mid-round pitchers to target and mid-round pitchers to avoid for this upcoming season based on some of their analytics and Max Fried I was just in love with is and for me is he my top pick to break out this year or is he my top pick to get carded at a bar and the answer is definitely both for me he's uh, <laughs> in a little bit of the time in the big leagues He's already won 19 games and has a 3.83 career ERA and 225.1 innings pitched. And I think before the season started, he had 165 innings last year. I think he was going to go about 200 this year. So I don't think there will be an innings limit for him. And one of the things that really impressed me about Max Fried 
his fastball velocity is at league average about 94 miles an hour with a mix of a slider sinker and changeup. But he has a curveball that is so pretty. It's like that poster, that celebrity crush you had on the wall growing up. Like it's that type of pretty. And he throws this curveball over a whopping 25% of the time and had uh, over 33% of the time when he was ahead in counts. And he recorded more outs on his strikeout 63 than any other pitch, including his fastball and had more vertical movement on that pitch, which you want on your curveball if you want like a 12-6 curve, than Zach Granke and Clayton Kershaw. And ask Clayton Kershaw what it's like to have a mid-range 90s fastball with a really nice curve. And so I think that that combo works out really well in the major leagues. And he has analytics to back up some of the stuff he did last year. So he was fourth highest ground ball percentage and the second lowest barrel rate and launch angle last year which means he's basically avoiding balls in the air and which in today's Homer happy baseball environment is a big deal. And he's not letting guys get the best part of their bat on his pitches. He also ranks in the top of the league in X slug and X ISO, which basically means he's limiting extra base hits and home runs. If the baseball becomes less Homer happy, which people are assuming that the ball will change somewhat back. I see him able to decrease from the ERA he had last year, which was 4.04 and being among the lead leaders in wins that has an, uh, arguably a top 10 offense backing him up. So I have no problem tying my name to his as the top breakout for this season. I, um, I think that is bold. He's right now going as the 37th starting pitcher on uh, on a Fantasy Pros ADP. So him jumping up to 10th is, is a huge jump for him. Uh, I I. I like the I like the analysis. I think it it gives you a lot of reason to to hope. I I I think as I was looking up, I was as you were talking, I was looking up his his innings pitched. His 165 last year was um, in line with what you would expect to jump from year to year. He had done 133 uh, the year before, I think, if I had that right, and then 165. You can expect him to be able to throw more. I don't know. I think Atlanta's going to want him to throw a lot. Obviously, in a shortened season, he can go a little bit longer. Um, I like it. I like that. I like that call out. You know, uh, especially the being carded at a bar thing. I think Max Fried is is number one. I think Max Fried will get carded before the nineteen year olds who are coming up into Major League Baseball. <laughs> That's true, David. I like that bold pick, and I really hope it happens. I was looking up stats right before the show, though, and he went only seven innings or more two times last year. And I know it's like they're going to let him pitch more, but there were six times where he allowed five or more earned runs. And from somebody that owned him, there was a lot of, you know, six innings, four hits, four earned type days. Um, I think it's a big jump from uh, that to top 10, but I I hope I'm wrong. I, I like that bold pick. He's one of the few players in baseball. I can say that looks younger than me, but like is actually close to my age. Uh, Eric, let's go into your second pick. Who's your second breakout? All right, it's a little more bold. Still not as, I'd say, as wild as your guys as yet. But I think Bryce Harper is going to lead the league in home runs. Um, Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. He he starts out hot. He has a 298 career average in March slash April. Um, And that's usually when the weather's cooler. The ball isn't traveling as hard. Uh, And that's... Usually the first two months are when he hits his most home runs. 
He has 30-plus home runs the past two years, and he has a career high of 42. He's only 27. And I think in a shorter season, people are going to swing more for the fences, especially in contract years. Like, I think if baseball is back, people don't want to see walks. You know, everybody's going to try and pad really good stats. You know, if somebody tries to hit 400, does it count in a season if it's, you know, condensed? Um, and he's durable. The last two seasons played 157 and 159 games. So I think that really helps him. As I was researching for this, I was looking up how the ballparks uh, hit. And, like, if, if it's an East Coast thing, uh, four of the top seven home run ballparks from last season will be in the East. So he'll he will be given the advantage of being hit hitting in home run ballparks. I think Toronto, Baltimore, um, Miami was one, but I think that's only because they're pitching stunk. But uh, and he's going to be hitting in Boston. He's going to be hitting hitting in that short right field porch in Yankee Stadium. I think it's a solid pick. You know, just picking a strong power lefty uh, in the East would be a, anyone would be a good pick. And I like I've always liked Bryce Harper's talent. I thought that last season was a tough one because it was his first year of a huge contract, and uh, he settled in now. He'll maybe he'll he'll have a chance to just open up and and crank out a bunch of home runs. I like it. And I think you guys both touched on key points. Art, you brought up that he's in year two and he heated up at the end of year one. I think there's a lot less pressure in the second year of your contract than your first year. And I also think Eric, you brought up that he always starts out hot. And, you know, the fact is it's season most likely is going to be a quarter of the season. So there's not going to be as much time for him to tail off. And if he's always a fast starter, then if the league ends at a shorter period of time, then he's probably going to have a chance to lead the league at home run. So I do like that call. Um, All right, let's go to your second one. Who's your second bold prediction? My second bold prediction is the Chicago White Sox with the top AL Central team. They're going to be better than Cleveland or Minnesota. Now, I don't I think the NL Central is tougher than the AL Central. So if they're playing that up and down, I don't I'm not sure if that guarantees them a player spot, a playoff spot, but what the heck? White Sox are going to the playoffs this year. I like in a shortened season I like them to come out strong. I love the the additions they made to their team. They their pitching staff, they added Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez to their rotation, a rotation that already had Lucas Giolito, uh Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease, Reynaldo Lopez with Carlos Rodon coming back. That's like seven guys to find five spots. I think that's a good that's good. You don't want to just have five pitchers. They have seven, I think. I like now I went around also. I went around the diamond for them. Yasmani Grandal is their catcher. First base, Jose Abreu. Second base, why well, don't let's skip second base. I'll come back to that. <laughs> their shortstop is Tim Anderson. Third base, Yoan Moncada. And they have Nomar Mazzara, uh, uh, um, uh, Luis, Ro- Luis Robert, and Eloy Jimenez in the outfield. Their second baseman right now is Danny Mendick. UMass Lowell, pride of UMass Lowell, Danny Mendick. He's not holding off top prospect Nick Madrigal for long. When you look around their offense, I don't really see a flaw. People, even someone like Nomar Mazzara, who people aren't too excited about, is 25. His slugging percentage has gone up every year of his career. His OPS has gone up every year of his career. So even someone like him, who's like, oh, he's 
you know, Omar Mazzara, eh, he's young and he's been improving the whole time. I think that the Chicago White Sox have the type of team that could run out really strong and hold off, get, claim that playoff spot from the Central. Nomar Mazzara has the furthest home run hit last season. I think it was 502 feet. Is that Fun right? Fun fact, that was a triple play fantasy trivia question. Yeah. <laughs> Which I didn't guess on because I knew I didn't know the answer. 505 feet. So he can crank. Yeah, and Art, you're right. They have, their offense has no holes, and they have a lot of great young pitching. I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't even bring up Edwin Encarnacion as their DH, too, because they signed him this offseason as well. I think I, it's funny because I don't think people are talking about them in that retrospect, but I think they also play, they're going to be playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're going to be playing against the Kansas City Royals. They're going to be playing against the Detroit Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to, that's three teams that they're going to be able to beat up on. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I can, at least for me personally, with all the youth and, and, the mix of some veterans they have on that squad. I, I mean, this could be that the year that they kind of just make that leap out of nowhere in a sense. And I, I, I like that pick a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's going to, it's a tough division because I think the NL central has a lot of teams lo- locked and loaded and the NL central has Minnesota and Cleveland and Minnesota especially is looking really good this year, but if you're going to be bold. You got to be bold. And I think, you know, I think, I think the White Sox are going to be really good this year. Uh, Art, not when I think about it. You convinced me. As soon as we're off, I'm going to bet on them. Nice. <laughs> That's standing behind a bold prediction right there. All right. My next pick, going the pitching route again, Mad Bum has a 120 p across all formats, which is about the 10th round pick in a 12-team league. And – He's the 29th starting pitcher off the board, according to the Fantasy Pros ADP. I think he's going to finish outside the top 40 starting pitchers in fantasy baseball this season. And I compare him, he's like the Paul Goldschmidt of pitchers. And he, he yes, he's a giant legend, arguably one of the best postseason pitching runs of this generation. But I'm really not liking the outlook for him this season. Let's first start with the fact that he's leaving the best ballpark for pitchers in, in the major leagues. And he's moving to a ballpark that's closer to the middle of the pack in terms of home runs allowed. I know they got rid of the humidifier, but it's still not necessarily considered uh, a great ballpark for pitchers. For a guy who ranked in the top 10 pitchers, top 10 worst pitchers, it's so an average exit velocity. It's extremely troubling. So there's the fact that he's among also the worst in majors and ground ball percentage at 37%, which basically means He's allowing 63% of the balls in play to get put into the air. And if that's not enough for you, he's also the fourth highest hard hit percentage right up there in the sweet spot in uh, sweet spot, or he's right up there in sweet spot percentage and barrel percentage. So basically what I took from all these stats is that he was not fooling us anybody last year. This was his third straight season of under nine Ks per nine. He's a fastball velocity that's now under 90 miles per hour. His changeup is 84, so his hit, the difference in velocities between those two is now only five miles an hour. I think in a new environment with the worst park for pitching, he had a 3.9 ERA last year. I think this is kind of where people are talking about Paul Goldschmidt. This is the year he really tails off. I feel like that's the same type of comparison for Madison Bumgarner. And this is kind of the year he might have a, a mid-fours ERA and be a, a, just a very, very average 
streaming like pitcher. So you you think that the drop is only past forty? You you're not going to go and say no. I think he's not going to be in top fifty because he's 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 an accumulator at this point in his career, where he's not like you say he he gets he gets his his value from the fact that he takes the ball and goes out there and gets innings. Yeah, you know, I, or we got to make this extra bold. So I will say top fifty. I will, I'll right. take the, I'll take the eleven and I'll make it twenty one. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, again, just, I know I spit a lot of numbers out there, but what it comes down to is he's one of the most fly ball uh, prone pitchers in baseball last year, and he had the benefit of playing at I think it's is there's AT and T Park is that the name of it? Is it mm-hmm. Oracle now? Oh yeah, I don't yeah, even, yeah, yeah. Or uh, going from the biggest ballpark in baseball to even a middle of the pack ballpark when you're putting the ball in the air that much and guys are hitting the ball that hard off of you and your strikeouts per nine has gone down for three straight seasons, that just doesn't – you put that in a pot, mix it up, and you get a nasty concoction. I don't like it. Yeah, I, I'm looking at that, and, uh, you know, I, I think people will always – if there's a big game need to be pitched, I think Mad Bum comes in clutch, and he does eat a lot of innings. He's gone – or he's pitched at least 30 games in seven seasons and would be more if he didn't go dirt bike riding and have his rodeo stuff. Um, but you're right. I, I look at his metrics, 3.9 ERA last year. Um, wasn't fooling guys with as much stuff. I think he'll be an innings eater, but I don't think he's going to give you that high ceiling he had before, which helped, you know, propel him to what he was. And I, I, th- oh, I, th- ahead, I think, I mean, as much, as much, as, there's no way I can, I can put any stats, put any way to any, you know, to, you know, way to prove it. I think Mad Bum is still one of the best big game pictures because of his mind. I don't think he ever was a top level stuff guy, but I do think that he has the grit. He has the mentality of a, of a big game guy. And you know, that might just be hogwash. You might, you might have someone tell you that there's no such thing as clutchness. I'm not the type of person that believes that. I think that if you're an athlete and I'm not claiming to be a great athlete, but you know, guys, who don't get, they don't get phased by the big moments. And I think Madison Bumgarner is the type of guy who doesn't get phased by the big moments. And Arizona signed him because they're expecting to be in big moments. Um, and so I, I like him for that. As far as for the regular season, yeah, I think, I think you know, he's kind of he's he's past his prime. Yeah. If you ask me today, David. Halfway through the season, his ERA is in the fives. What's going on with him? I would just sit here and I'd be like, I'm not shocked. Like, I think especially he's he's staying in the West where they have the Dodgers, uh, revamped Padres team, a Giants team he's played for his whole career that probably knows how he throws and what he likes to do. And he's also going against the Angels, the, the Astros, the, uh, the Rangers, I mean, the Athletics. There's so many great great hitting teams he's going to be playing against and you, you didn't even say Colorado either you didn't I mean, even yeah, say Colorado, Colorado yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, that's I think again throw it in a soup pot whatever ingredients you want to throw in there I just don't like the concoction that's been- mad bum yeah. hate some mad bum hate stew right <laughs> I love me some good mad bum hate stew I mean he hasn't, just he, not hasn't nominated. he hasn't <laughs> been the same since that since that four-wheeler accident I yes. think I think that made a big difference in the trajectory of his career. I'm not sure what what it did to him, but there was some. He just hasn't been the same since then. 
completely agree. Let's move into each of our last predictions here. And Eric, start us off right. Who's our last bold prediction pick? All right. Well, this one's probably the most bold, and I hope to be wrong. But I don't think Max Scherzer will be a top 20 starting pitcher. So Eyeballs emoji. Ah! <laughs> so in June, he had a really hot streak. And for those that followed last year, in 45 innings, he gave up only five earned runs. I believe three of his five innings or three of his six starts had 10 plus Ks. From the rest of July to September, he went 50 innings. And that included multiple DL, IL uh, stints for a back strain in July and in August, a mild rhombo- rhomboid strain. He had his game five start in the World Series pushed back because of neck spasms. I look at the Roy Holiday documentary that just happened, and Max Scherzer's turning 36. That was the year where Roy Holiday really lost it, where he went from around like a 3.839 ERA to 6.82 ERA. They both have back issues, and I'm not accusing Max Scherzer of doing something, but he's thrown a lot of innings, especially with the postseason the Nats were in. And I think on a shorter season, if there's going to be expanded playoffs, you might see pitchers that might normally have inning re- innings restrictions not have that this year because if teams say, okay, let's just get in, maybe we're the giants of you know, the even years in the early 2010s where we can get in as a wild card and get high. You know, people like Jesus Lazardo or Zach Allen or Chris Paddock that might have not pitched the entire season before. I think there's going to be more of an emphasis on them pitching. The one thing, Eric, I think that I will agree with you on is in a shorter season that I don't think there's a need for Max Scherzer. I think the Nationals might go along the minds of, hey, like, we'd rather you pretty much, unless we're really struggling, we'd rather you save you for the postseason. And, you know, keep your innings down, just basically make it like an extended spring training for you and then really have you amp up later on closer to the postseason. So that way we can uh, we can get the best of you later on in the year. And you want to call it just from the innings pitched alone or like you said, the injury risk or people breaking down. I can see it. I, I'm not saying I necessarily would make that call, but I can see it. Yeah, I, I, I could see him. I could see him losing some effectiveness. Um, I don't see a Halliday's type drop off. He was too too good last year for that stretch. I think it's he still has stretches like that in him, but um, but I do I could see him having a, a drop off where it's less consistent. Um, but you know, two seasons ago he was amazing. Last season he had that great stretch, but he was less consistent already last season. So falling out of the top twenty. Yeah, I could see that. I, I would. Yeah, like, I'm with David. I would not predict that, but I could see it happening. Yeah. And I mean, he's what was he? The fourth pitcher drafted this year, third, fourth. Cole, was, DeGrom, and then maybe Verlander. Well, yeah, Verlander, think, Verlander's injury pushed him back. I think now Verlander's probably going above Scherzer. Bueller's going above Scherzer. So he's probably fifth or sixth now. And my thing about this is I think the Nationals got worse. I think they lost Rendon. They got really hot at the right time, but I don't think they were the best team last year. I think they played the best in the postseason, so it's not like the Dodgers where, okay, we can afford to rest our starters a little bit. I think they're going to need him to pitch if they want to be in contention. Understandable. Um, Art, what about – I keep calling you Art. Little Cheesecake? 
<laughs> I only know him as Little Cheesecake. <laughs> What's your last Man. little prediction? Man, you better stop calling me Art. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so this one was hard because, you know, I, you do all this research and you're like, mm, I can't make a great argument for that. I can't make a great argument for that. One of the, the pieces, little factoids, I just want to throw this out there. This is not, I couldn't come up with a great one for this, but nine out of the top 10 guys in average exit velocity from last season will be in the central division this season. Nine out of the top 10. Nelson Cruz, Fremil Reyes, Christian Yelich, Josh Donaldson, Johan Moncada, Kyle Schwarber, Jorge Soler, Josh Bell, and Jose Abreu. All in the central. Nine out of the top 10. Uh, and average exit velocity. I I was like, what am I going to say? Uh, Great American Ballpark is going to have a lot of home runs hit at that? No, no, that's not bold. Uh, it's going to happen. <laughs> so my last one piggybacks on my relief pitcher, um, the, the point which, which led me to my relief pitcher Cy Young point, the fact that I think starters are going to take a longer time to ramp up I also think there's going to be expanded use of openers in the, in this season. And for that reason, I think the league leader in wins is going to be uh, a person who is, uh, is who fo- follows an opener like Ryan Yarbrough or Yanni Chirinos. I think a lot of teams are going to start using that. If I had to pick one, I guess I would go with Ryan Yarbrough, but uh, I think the league leader in wins is going to be one of those guys because they're in there for the winning innings. And if starters are going four, they're not pitching enough to get wins. So I think the league leader in wins this year is going to be a follower. Wow. All right. These are, these are definitely nice and bold. Like this is like when you read something and it's like shoots out of you in the face, like in that nice big black writing. This is when um, you're sending an email that you're trying to get the attention of a client and you highlight it and then bold it and then make the font size like two sizes bigger. That's the businessman in you. I like yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, this this is this is I, I feel this one is is probably the most bold because Yarbrough was starting a, a good amount at the end of last season, so he might not be fo- following this year as much. But uh, I think that this year, with the extended spring training, starters only going four innings, their ability to rack up wins is going to be less. Guys who are going to rack up wins are the guys pitching in the fifth, from like the second or third to the sixth inning. They're going to be in there when the win-winning inning hit comes across. And, uh, you know, the league leader in wins is going to be like 10, maybe 11, you know. Uh, a guy like Ryan Yarbrough could be in there for 11 wins pretty easy. A guy like Yanni Chirinos, just following a, a good relief pitcher pitching one or two innings. And he's on a good team or a team, another team uses that expanded, exp- expanded use of that. I, I can see it happening this year. Yeah, I mean, Art, I, it's definitely bold, and I don't. And again, it's one of those things. If, if I see it happen, I, I can't sit here and say I'm shocked because in a shortened season, with teams probably trying to, you know, either go all out and have their best pitchers go, or teams that might be conservative and and always have an opener. And, and like you're saying, I mean, 
everything's on the table this season. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. something that I, in this type of environment, I don't think it's crazy to, to say might happen, but it's, it's still very bold. Yeah, we're all doing our research. Nobody's bashed one another yet. <laughs> well, our, Eric, I'm ready for the bash for this next one because you know it's coming. I don't think my, I do. I already talked to you about this one. Um, my last one, my heartthrob, Nick Anderson, oh. who, has an, who has an average ADP <laughs> of 140 and is the 54th <laughs> overall pitcher off the board, according to Fantasy Pro's ADP will be the number one relief pitcher in 2020. So let me throw let me rub my hands together and give you guys a little bit of numbers. A little bit of numbers. A little bit of numbers here. He's fifth <laughs> among all players with at least 50 innings last year in zone swing and miss percentage and in zone contact percentage. So basically, first that it means is he's getting his pitches in the zone and guys are still swinging and missing. He's not like making them chase. He's also 14th in zone percentage and whiff percentage. So he's the 14th among qualifiers in actually getting his pitch in the zone and getting whiffs. 8% or he's 8th in swing percentage. This tells me, again, that he's getting his stuff in the zone. He's not nibbling or chasing. He's basically like, here's my stuff in the strike zone. Hit it. And they're not hitting it. This is also evidenced by his above average 6.8% walk rate, which means he's not issuing many free passes. So, again, as a relief pitcher, as a closer, you want guys that are not going to give up free base. He's doing a good job of limiting that. His XBA was 0.197, which was top 7% in the league last season. And his strikeout rate was an absurd 41%. And that accounts for his time with the Marlins and the Rays. And that's just insane. He averaged, once he came over to the Rays, 17 Ks per nine. That number just blows me away. And the Rays know how to work with pitchers, see Tyler Glass now, and to get the most out of the pitchers that they get. And one of the things, again, that people are starting to learn about me is I love guys that have a fastball that's mid to high 90s and have a great curveball to pair it with. And he throws his curve 40% of the time, and he gets a 55% whiff. So the way I look at it is he is such a weapon. And I know Eric's argument you know, they had a they had a bunch of guys closed last year. You know, it's the Tampa Bay the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, this is what they do. But <laughs> but if you look at the end of last year, Emilio Pagan, you know, the injuries to the other guys played a role. But Emilio Pagan, once he started pitching multiple times, he was the guy at the end of the season. He down the stretch, he was closing games for them consistently. And what did they and, do? They traded him. Well, it was in the off season. <laughs> but my point is when there's a guy that's not, if he's getting the job done and he's doing a great job doing it, they're not going to take him away. And especially in a shortened season, you want a guy that's going to lock up wins for you. You're not going to play around with different closers and save arms. You're going to, if this guy is, is killing it, you're going to ride that wave because you want us to, every win counts even more in a quarter of a season. So I want us to use this opportunity to start hashtag nasty Nick. And if you can't see me, I have my fists raised. Nasty Nick. I have five words. He plays for the Rays. You obviously, you obviously think you know Kevin Cash. You've never, I guess, never had a Rays reliever. He just, you think you figure him out and he just plays with your heart. I don't have numbers to back it up. But yeah, that's, he plays for the Rays. That's my argument. <laughs> 
I, I, let me just start off by saying I couldn't tell that it was you. I thought it was Eric talking when you were doing that. That was such a good impression, David. Can we do it again? <laughs> <laughs> Eric's natural voice. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting his TV voice now. Uh, <laughs> uh, Eric, I have numbers to back it up. Because we talked about Nick Anderson on our uh, on our uh, relief pitcher pod a few weeks ago with uh, with on our closer pod with Bogman. The last two seasons, they've had at least three guys get eight saves. Last year, they had going from memory six guys get at least two saves. They spread them out. Nick Anderson's going to be really valuable. His I think he's going to have less saves. How do you judge top relief pitcher? It's not gonna, he's not going to lead the league in saves. He, he might be the best total package. His talent is there. He's not going to lead the league in saves um, because they're just used too many guys. That's my argument against this fact. David, after the show, can you give me Kevin Cash's number since you know him? So <laughs> <laughs> he, told me, he told me not to give it to uh, annoying people like you. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe you called me annoying. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're texting right now, and we have our exclusive club away from you. That's fine. I have my exclusive club away from you guys. But again, I think one of the reasons why we have a lot of these bold predictions is, again, courting with the Nick Anderson, is in a shortened season, we don't know what's going to happen. And things that you might normally say, this is how a guy acts. I mean, again, if there's 40-something games, every win matters so much more. And managers... You might have a guy like Jacob DeGrom in the second inning have given up four runs and they might just give him a hook. But normally they'd be like, all right, just keep riding it out when they're like, you know what? You don't have it tonight. We're yanking you. And that, that's what I'm saying is we have both predictions and I think it's hard. We can refute stuff from we've seen from seasons past, but this season is going to be unlike any other we've ever seen. So yeah, I, I think managers have to be more aggressive this year. I think you're right about that because there's less of a chance to write a ship that's not going well. You have to be aggressive to try and win games, especially if you're a team that is expecting to compete this year. Right. And with that being said, that was a great, great talk between us. Did not expect it to go that long, but when you have three great minds and three bold and beautiful people, sometimes that just happens. That's right. And uh, So without further ado... We're going to end this part of the show, and we're going to get to our interview with the bullpen weapon, the Angels' Ty Butchery. We had a great conversation with him where we touched on his horrid performance in MLB The Show, his one sinker that he threw all of last season. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to bash him. He was an awesome guest, gave amazing insight on how he attacks hitters, pitch sequencing, his demeanor on the mound, also touched on the process of being traded and gave his personal view on the players and owners battle that's uh, currently taking place. And then it wouldn't be our show, of course. I give him my little rapid-fire questions at the end. And stay tuned especially for question seven because I think you guys might get a kick out of that one. So, little cheesecake, anything you want to say to the people before we get to the interview? Nah, I just I can't wait to show these people uh, our interview with Ty. Eric? Jeff McNeil, if there was ever an episode to listen to, it's this one because somebody outside of us three talks about you. <laughs> you won't tweet at him or Instagram tag him. Oh, of course I will. Good, good. Just <laughs> checking. All right. Well, everybody enjoy the interview and keep on playing players until next week.
welcome in Ty Buttstreet, a.k.a. the peach tree, as it said on the back of his player's weekend jersey. Current top-end reliever in the bullpen for the Angels. Ty's been pitching in the bigs for two seasons and has accumulated almost 89 innings with a sub-4 ERA and a nasty 10.6K uh, per nine. Ty accumulated two saves and 26 holds in 2019. And don't look now, Hansel Robles, because my man can close games. Fun facts about uh, Ty is he's pitched BP to his dad recently, froze him with a K looking, and he represented the Angels in MLB The Show, uh, the MLB The Show League. And weirdly enough, Ty's a lot bigger than I am physically and in uh, in real life and everything else. But I actually have more followers on Twitter, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ty, what's going on, man? Uh, not much, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um yeah, no, that's uh, that Twitter game's definitely subpar. I'll tell you what, I'm not a big fan of Twitter. Twitter's a, uh, I I was on it a long time ago in high school, then I just got off, didn't see the point, and then you know I've started to get a little bit more engaging on Instagram through um you know with the fans and everything. So I may start picking up Twitter, but uh, yeah. Anyways, no, I appreciate you guys having me. No, of course. So before we start, I gotta ask you, man. I looked at your MLB the show record. Oh and, god. Man, it, 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 I was it was horrid. Eight and twenty-one. What's that all about? Oh, it's terrible. I'll tell you what, I'm actually nine and um yeah, eight and tw- you know what? I think they somehow they messed up. I think I'm nine twenty-one. Okay. Maybe, no, <laughs> no, maybe the one. official maybe the official is eight and twenty-one. I'm not sure. But um yeah, man. So that was a that was a fun experience because for me, um, you know, our media rep reached out to me and asked me if that's something I would like to do. You know, he said that MLB the show is putting on this big tournament, um, players tournament. And he wanted to know if, you know, that's something I could do. And he said, you have to stream and you have to be on live. And, um, you know, for me, it was just something that like, here's the deal. I mean, you guys believe me if you want. Um, (laughs) I was an Xbox guy my whole life. I played uh, MLB the show 2007 long time ago yes. um, i used to be a ps2 guy a little bit um and this is this isn't an excuse i'm not saying you know there's no excuse for this there's no excuse for the record but i will say that i bought a ps4 um that day that he asked me and i bought mlb the show that day and i spent a solid probably eight days practicing up to that point putting at least like six to eight hours a day wow that's so i think that's honestly the only reason why i had eight wins so like eight (laughs) wins was actually decent for me you hired a coach too right yeah man i hired um i reached out to uh mcgunsky he's just uh he's freaking unbelievable and like believe it or not his tips were really helpful um And it was it was a really cool experience because I got to basically when I started, you know, I wanted to really win. I wanted to, like, actually compete. We're not competing right now. So I want to go out there. I wanted to, um, you know, make it engaging with the fans. I I thought it would be a really cool opportunity to do scrimmage games, play the fans, engage with them a little bit more on Instagram, since I'm usually uh, not too active on Instagram. Um, And it was just a really fun time. But, uh, yeah, no, it was it was a cool experience. Who was the best competitor you played from the team reps? Um, the best was probably uh, Dwight Smith Jr. Just beat the brakes off me. Um, Joey Gallo, I held in there. Blake Snell was really good. Um, I heard Amir Garrett is good. Yeah, but I beat him. Here's the, t- here's oh, the deal. Oh, nice. That's, that's a quality one. He's a big stack yeah. talker. Yeah, here's the deal. I uh, actually beat, like, seven of my wins were against – top uh fifth or top 
like 25% players. Like I beat Gavin Lux. I beat Amir Garrett. I beat, um, geez, who, uh, Jeff McNeil. Um, no, wait, I lost to Gavin Lux by one, almost beat him. Um, I, I have to go through and tell you the name. I beat like six or seven guys that were like, re- had really good records. Oh, um, yeah. Tommy can Canley Conley for the Yankees. He was doing pretty good. Um, but the thing is I lost against all the guys that had worse records than I did because those guys just throw junk in the dirt. Like, because we're not same with me, like we're not great at pitching. So I swing at everything. Like the guys who are actually better at MLB the show were throwing balls in the zone. And I could, you know, I, I just was sitting on pitches in the zone the whole time. Cause I knew they weren't going to throw uh, stuff out. So they might just call you the dragon slayer. Cause you took out, if you beat Gallo, he was number two, McNeil's number four, White Smith's number five. You just take, like yeah, you're like all the yeah, big guys. Go go through the go through the list. I'll tell you who I beat because I, I actually lost to Gallo. Um, who who was, was you had the list in front of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blake Snell number one. Okay, lost. Joey Gallo number two. Lost. Bo Bichette number three. Lost. Jeff McNeil number four. One. Dwight yeah. Smith Jr. number five. Lost. Okay, so I definitely lost to the top top guys. All right, so yeah, lost against him too. And then Lucas Giolito. Oh, beat him. Ian Happ. Beat. Yeah, beat Ian. And Gavin Lux, and then Tommy Can- uh, Canley. Conley. Yep. And I beat both them, too. No, lost to Lux. Okay, so I guess I beat most of the middle-tier guys. I didn't beat too many of the top-tier guys. That's, t- that's top 10. Yeah, that's yeah. like four of the top 10. Yeah, pretty good. yeah. It was pretty good. You see what I'm saying? Like, it was weird. Like, it's a fun game, though. I love it. Did you beat Eduardo Rodriguez, who had a two and twenty-seven record? Please don't nope. tell me you were one of his two wins. Oh yeah. man! Oh yeah. no, dude! And he—I heard he was so bad, and um, I was like, "Oh, geez, I'm pretty bad too." And like, I started playing him. <laughs> the next thing you know, but here's the deal: it was crazy. So like, I was throwing pitches in the zone. It was like it was, dude. It was so. There were so many explanations for why I was losing. I'm just, I'm going to just stop because I, the record, like you said, the record speaks for itself. <laughs> well, no, I, I like the passion for the, the, the league though. That's pretty cool. But uh, I am going to get a little analytical on you now. So let me put my glasses on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Ty, last season, if I'm, I want to make sure I have this correct and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You threw a fastball at about 97, a slider at 84 and a changeup at 87 and you threw one sinker at 95 one time last year. Is that accurate? <laughs> mm. Yeah, that 95 mile an hour sinker was probably a just opened up fastball. My left side just flew open, arm drag, probably threw a nasty sinker, didn't mean to. It happens, <laughs> it happens like three, four times a year, actually, that I'll do that. Uh, so you're pretty much a big fastball guy. Um, baseball savant has you at 57% of your pitches being fastballs. And then you mixed in with a 30% use of your slider. Is that customary? Do you feel that both those two pitchers are kind of the way you like to attack hitters using that combo? And it says that you use 13% changeups. Is it more just kind of to keep them guessing what's coming rather than a pitch that you feel um, you want to strike out guys with? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually, so my changeup grades out tech, like analytically as a better pitch. It's got better drop. It's got uh, better depth, better fade. Um, but mentally I'm able to kind of throw my slider sometimes for strikes and controlled a little bit better. So at the beginning of the year, the first two months, I had really good, um, playing on my slider, my fastball. I mean, my fastball was coming out, my slider was coming out the same plane as my fastball. 
I was backfooting a lot of lefties, throwing in the dirt, throwing it for a strike. Um, it was still, and I'm not knocking my slider. It just for me, analytically, um, I guess you could say it was my third best pitch. The changeup, you know, that pitch was that's been a pitch for me that's been the beginning of my career. I had it really, really good when I was younger. I had it. Um, and then like the middle of my career, I went through this like year spurt where it just was unhittable and then kind of lost the feel for it. Not necessarily in the sense of it's, I could still kind of throw it for a strike, but I just, it, it was like, I was working, my body kind of works against itself when I'm, when I was throwing that pitch and it was, I wasn't able to kind of get that late action and buried in the dirt. Um, it was more for a, either, you know, I would throw that thing. The thing is like when I really focused on it, I could throw that thing three, two, um, I threw it a lot two zero, and for me, it was more of like, a, you know, a, a pitch that when I, when I'm, when things are going wrong, you know, I almost double down on myself sometimes. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to just trust myself here. Next thing you know, two zero, I climb back and account two one change up. And, you know, that's just like a way that I was able to get ahead with it. Um, towards the end of the year, we start throwing a lot to righties, but I'll tell you these, uh, last three months, that we've had off from baseball, um, I think it's finally clicked. And the way I've been throwing it lately has been honestly a hundred percent increase in terms of just being a new pitch. I mean, this thing is just, it's getting, I've had this vision and like from what my changeup is going to be this, my whole career. And like, it never really, it was just inconsistent. And finally I'm getting to a point, man, where I'm, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, we are. You had said his changeup. What was the comment you had talked to me about his changeup? Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know, Ty, if, if major leaguers follow baseball savant, but they they do some pitch tracking, and it looks like uh, your changeup is a weapon you use a lot against lefties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and your your it shows a fastball slider mix mostly against righties, but the lefties you really mix in that changeup a lot. And uh, so I'm just wondering if that, if, if, if the slider coming in on lefties, you need that change up a little bit to change, uh, to change the look of that slider maybe, or how, how, how does that work for you? Yeah. I like to throw the change up um, to lefties because everything's kind of running the way, you know, I'll go my fastball up and in and I'll kind of, you know, keep them honest and I'll work my changeup away. But for me, I like to keep my change of middle and let the action run. Mm-hmm. Um, Doug white last year and Brad was, um, you know, we started kind of dissecting that and we noticed, you know, the hitters second, third time through lineups, you know, I think they kind of knew that I was majority change up lefty. And so they just were kind of eliminating it and sitting on fastball. And I started mixing that change up into righties towards the last, I think, like month, a little bit and not a lot, but definitely an increase to what I was the beginning. Um, And it just opened up a whole bunch of uh, doors for me and really, really helped. And that's something that, you know, I plan on doing. If I'm going to be, you know, at the top of my game, I'm going to have to be able to throw every pitch to every hitter. It doesn't matter lefty or righty. Right. You're going to throw a lot of sliders into the Astros, right? (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah that's there's there's i'm sure there'll be some stuff happening against those guys <laughs> so we, we brought up about you said the beginning so ty i want to take you uh back to your high school days for a second um eric i know you specifically wanted to reference his utter dominance at the high school level yeah man you're senior year at providence high school nine and two with a 0.91 era 13.04 strikeouts per nine innings how does it feel to be so dominant 
just knowing like nobody can touch you. Um, I wish I was more dominant in high school. <laughs> honestly, I, I uh, it was cool because high school was just like I was kind of a late bloomer. Um, you know, I was in JV up to my sophomore year. Um, I actually started off in varsity. I struck out 11 times, went 0 for 11 with 11 punchouts as a hitter. Got sent down to JV, found my swing, <laughs> actually became a phenomenal hitter um, my sophomore summer and sophomore year and junior year. But pitching was always something, pitching my whole life. I was never like, I had spurts where I was dominant. Um, you know, I always had a live arm. I always had like a loose arm action and I feel like an athletic delivery. And it kind of was just something that I knew eventually I'd grow into my body and I did, you know, my senior year was finally when I started, you know, I started throwing hard. I started throwing 93, 96. My curveball was really, really good. Um, I always had a good feel for my changeup. And so, you know, when you're going out there and you're throwing um, high velocity, you know, not, not, not knocking the hitters that I was facing, but, you know, it's that's upper velocity at a high school level. I mean, you can get away with a lot of things when you're throwing that hard. Right. It makes sense. So then let's let's fast forward to then when you got to more of a pro ball level, you got drafted by the Red Sox. What's the feeling like to get drafted? I'm sure it's a one of a kind experience. It is. It is. Um, I actually thought I was going to go to college. I thought, um, you know, I was set on going the first two rounds. That's kind of what I heard from all the scouts. That's what my agent was telling me at the time. Um, you know, and you kind of get you kind of get a feel during the draft. But then, uh, you know, the second or third round pass. And I told my dad, you know, I think I'm going to go to Arkansas. And Red Sox called in the fourth round, offered me a lot of money over slot. And um, I knew that that was probably going to be the last offer. And at that point, it was like, hey, listen, do you really want to go to, you know, do you really want to play pro ball? And the answer was 100 percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then oh, go ahead, Art. No, I I. I... I may be jumping the gun here. I know you spent six years in the Red Sox organization, and then in 2018, you were you were traded to uh, to to, to the Angels. Um, what is it like to be traded? What's what? How did that go down? How you get a phone call? You get called into a coach's office? How does that work? Yeah, I was actually um, I was sitting down. We were in Syracuse, I think. Yeah, we're playing the Mets, and uh, I kind of had it idea that I would get traded um you know players talk everyone kind of has a feel for a couple guys that were going to get traded I was having a really good year in triple a I was like leading the league in strikeouts and ERA um it was like two and a half months in and it was like the bottom of the eighth inning our trainer yelled down to me and Williams Jerez Jerez um and I kind of knew something was up then. I'm like, all right, I think I'm getting traded. Um, and we go into, uh, mm-hmm. we go into the office and it was actually the manager was still in the game. So it was me, Williams, Rez, the trainer, and then our farm director, Ben Crockett. And he, uh, said, you know, guys, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's like two, just, you know, I, I know I'm going to trade just say it. And then he goes, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, we're going to trade you to the Los Angeles. And I thought he was about to say Dodgers. Um, and then, you know, Los Angeles angels and the rest is history, but it was awesome. It was crazy. Unbelievable experience. I mean, would have never thought um, – honestly, I really would have never thought I would have gotten traded. I thought for sure I would, you know, get called up at Boston and stay with Boston for my whole career. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the Angels are happy you're there now because going to my next thought, you, you're you at the back end of the bullpen, whether you're, you're – you had 26 holes last year, two saves. Uh, you know, you're a valuable piece for their, their bullpen right now. So my question is, 
because you obviously have closing experience. Is it a better feeling to strike a guy out that's talking a lot of trash to you? Or is it a better feeling if you're in a jam to get like a ground ball double play? Oh, oh man. Wow. What a great question. Man. <laughs> Never been asked that. Um, talking here's the deal i honestly like i don't get too many guys talking crap to me um <laughs> when i when i strike guys out i don't i you know i don't play games i don't stare them down i don't puff my chest out i don't beat my gloves i strike them out and i go to the next guy you know and like that's kind of like i try to keep kind of like a soldier mindset in a sense it's like i'm out there to do a job um you know i'm out there to get a hold and you know sometimes i'll get pumped up but like if you see me like pump my hands together that means like inside like i'm just elated like i am so excited like that's a big deal like if i just do a little glove tap so but to answer the question it would definitely be ground ball because you know ground balls um ground balls equals wins wins equals championships man that's what we're here for especially yeah. i imagine if you come in and you're cleaning up someone else's mess and you get back in the dugout and they're probably the first one to come see you too after you get that uh, yeah that's a, that is actually one of the best feelings um when you have a guy and you get him out of the jam um you save his his runs you save the lead it's a crappy feeling when you give up other guys runs man it really sucks no i bet um uh, so, so so has anyone gotten you a particularly good meal like for for cleaning up hey steak dinner with a beer on me you're like no 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 i want johnny walker blue what's what what are you <laughs> um Everyone, you know, it's funny because everyone always kind of says like, you know, I owe you a steak dinner or I owe you this. And it's like in the moment, you know, you're like, OK, cool. And then guys kind of like you forget about it. <laughs> they usually forget about it. <laughs> guys, you know, guys in baseball, we got short memories. So like I'm sure I have like 10 steak dinners owed and I'm probably I'm sure I probably owe 20 steak dinners. So like <laughs> I'm definitely, I, I can't remember the last time, but I definitely owe some people some steak dinners. So, Ty, David has re referenced, for your career, you have 32 holds and six saves. Is there a difference in mindset when how you're coming in? How many? How many? You have 32 30? holds and six saves. I had no idea I had 32, but that's cool. Is, is there a difference in your mindset when you're coming in for a hold as opposed to a save or the pitch mix that you might use? Um, yeah, you know, pitch mix is pitch mix is the same. Um, I don't really ever vary my pitch mix. I go based off feel and I go based off my mindset and how I'm feeling that day. If I'm feeling like a, you know, cage bull, I know it's a little weird analogy, but like, <laughs> I'm throwing a lot of fastballs. Like I'm coming at you. Um, you know, maybe if I don't have my fastball, I'm obviously going to mix it up a little bit, um, elevate up in the zone, but definitely I, I don't think, uh, you know, coming in for a hold in the eighth inning, it's more of a like temporarily you know the game's not over yet i it's more of like a, okay i did my job um pass the baton pass the baton on to the next guy and when i come in um you said i had six saves so yeah yeah when i come you know those six opportunities i've had i think i've blown like two saves um two or three saves maybe maybe four um i think it's only two don't short change. really two Man, yeah yeah i forgot about those um <laughs> Yeah, that's like, you know, when you get a save, it's like, you know, you have a good feeling about yourself. Like you, you definitely don't feel like you won the game by any means because everyone, everyone's very, obviously very important, very valuable. Um, but it's more of just a, 
you know, it's like it's the final it's the final test. Like game over, you get to go home, you get and you got to shake, you know, sh- high five in the locker room. Um, you put the nail just, in the coffin of the other yeah, team. Yeah, exactly. Folks. It's just a cool it's just a cool feeling. We're talking with Ty Buttry of the Los Angeles Angels. Ty, do you have a memorable pitching battle or a memorable at bat of someone you faced in the majors that will always stick with you for the rest of your life that you can remember? Yeah, my first at bat or my first um I have a lot of uh a lot of tough ABs, a lot of guys. Um I honestly man, like I don't I don't really remember too much about my stats and about the guys I face. Um mm-hmm. I just, you know, I get myself try to get myself in a zone and I try to lock in and you know, I always have some good at bats against uh Chapman. Um Bregman and Altuve. I love facing Altuve. He is a really good challenge and he fouls stuff off. He has got a great eye. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh Delon the Shields for Texas, my first um my first appearance actually in the big leagues was against him, and my first pitch was an up and in fastball, and he squared around the bunt and his thumb was actually wrapped around the barrel and oh. I broke his thumb. My very first my very first pitch in the MLB, I uh, broke his thumb, and he, like, I was on the mound for, I think, like, 12 minutes. You know, trainer came out, he was about to go out, and then he came back, um, and he ended up grounding out. But that was probably, that's probably the most significant one that sticks out in my head. Yeah. Well, I bet no one knew, like, no, none of the listeners, I, I mean, we didn't know that for sure. Like, that's, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy, for sure. Um, so... Kind of a tough subject, but as the rest of the baseball world knows, we're not playing any baseball right now. Uh, we don't have any idea if and when it's going to come back. They've talked about a, a very shortened season potentially, but the owners and the players union are kind of just all butting heads. What are your thoughts on everything that's going on right now, and, and do you feel that there's any chance that baseball can be played this season? Yeah, I think you have to be optimistic. I think you have to hope for there's a season. I think if you're pessimistic and you're kind of counting the season out, I don't think you're I think you're doing yourself a disservice because you're mentally checking out before, you know, there's going to be baseball. And I think that's really important for me. I've tried to stay locked in for the last three months. I've actually I feel like been training harder than I was in the offseason. You know, I I feel like we have an opportunity if there is a season, even though there may be an asterisk next next to this year. And people may not value it as much as a normal season. Um, If there's a playoff, man, if there's a World Series. I want every part of that. You know, I want that's a World Series. I get, you know, we get rings. We win. Um, you know, we have the best team out there. And that's kind of like how my mindset is. But as far as, you know, not playing, um, it sucks. Um, I think when it first happened, everyone was so shocked. And I don't know what everyone I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak for myself and a few of my, you know, my teammates. And we all kind of share the same opinion. You know, everyone was just so confused the whole world's never seen anything like what's been going on right now um you know you try to sit there and the media obviously is going to blow things out of proportion um they're going to make things a bigger deal than what's going on sometimes and i try to avoid that a little bit i try to stay focused on what i can but um like you guys said i mean it's 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 as simple as that everyone knows it's the owners and the players we have to come to an agreement um Players have to obviously be paid what we are valued at, whether or not people may not agree with that. That's um, that's how the how this game goes. And 
at the same point, we, you know, we want to win. We want to give the fans what they want. And it's a very fine line. And it's, um, it's not necessarily black or white all the times. I feel like, I feel like there's a little bit of gray area in there. And that's where, um, you know, our player rep, Andrew Heaney and Cam Bedrosian, um, our cams are, you know, I think he's the, yeah, Cam and Andrew have been really, really good with keeping us updated. Um, you know, I'm sure the big dogs on our team, all those guys are in those, you know, they're in the conversations, guys are being informed. And it's just, like I said, like I, I'm sure every player has an opinion right now. And for the sake of it, um, you know, I'm focused on what I can control. I've been trying, I've been trying to preach that for the last couple of years. I try not to have an opinion one way or the other besides let's just play baseball. That's my opinion, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys really made a big investment in the squad leading into this season. Anthony Rendon, Julio Tehran, Dylan Bundy. You guys really looked like you were going to be competing with Houston and Oakland in that really tough division there. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel coming in? You felt, you felt, I'm sure you felt ready. It was almost season time. Uh, and then this, this knocks you, knocks you for a loop. Tell me how, how, uh, how it felt coming into this season and, uh, in the short run that you got, we might have finished this season with that squad. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling really positive. I think everyone's feeling positive when you guys, when you, when you have guys like Trout, Otani, Upton, Pujols, Simmons, Fletcher, Lestella, like the lineup is just stupid. Um, you know, the pitching staff, you know, Bundy, I got to know him. I got to know Teron a little bit. Just, you know, class act guys, hardworking guys, you know, dedicated. And they've, you know, they got experience, man. They got a lot of experience. I mean, those guys um, are extremely, extremely good pitchers. And I think, you know, we want to I, I, obviously the Angels had a plan for kind of um, tweaking. I don't I don't know about tweaking, just, you know, making sure that we all come together with a good game plan and attack plan. I mean, I don't think you have I don't think, you know, everyone talks about you have to have pitching to win. And I 100 percent believe that I, I know we have pitching to win. Um, Andrew Heaney was our opening day starter. The guys lights out. Um, and our bullpen is going to pick them up. And that's, that's why I think, that's why I think, you know, obviously people wanted us to go get Garrett Cole. Um, you know, they want us to sign a big time guy. We got Rendon. Um, mm-hmm. Instead we got another hitter, but man, it doesn't, you, you don't have to have, I mean, you don't have to have the, you know, every Cy Young award winner to win a world series, man. You got, you got to have guys that can go out there and compete battle. And I feel like our guys are Cy Young Award winners because they, you know, they go out there and, um, you know, we all pick each other up and we all compete to the end. And that's how you win games, man. Not to mention a World Series winning manager for your team this year now as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, as a Cubs Cubs fan, fan, I'm going to miss him. (laughs) Yeah, I I know you guys are upset, but hey, we got him, man. I'm I'm happy. He's he's really, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, Todd, we're going to get you out of here on this. We always uh, finish our pause with any guests we have, and we do a little game, uh, this or that. So just rapid fire, whichever one comes to your mind first, all right? Yeah, um, There absolutely. probably be, will be some that you might not have heard. So if you take a couple <laughs> extra seconds, there'll be nothing against you, okay? All right, sounds good. All right. Save with no strikeouts or a hold with strikeouts? Um, hold, oh, uh, hold with strikeouts. Okay. Captain Crunch or Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Captain Crunch. 
Oh man, aliens <laughs> or dinosaurs? Uh, dinosaurs. Spaghetti through a straw or through a blender? <laughs> straw for sure. I was gonna say no way you can say blender. That's gross. Uh, <laughs> I know you're married, so when you were dating your wife, would you rather clog the toilet at her house when you guys first started dating, or at the uh, at the baseball office? Um, definitely at the baseball office. One thousand <laughs> percent. All right. Would you rather forget your password every weekend for the rest of your life or forget your name every time you meet someone for the first time? Oh, geez. I feel like I do forget my password every single time. I feel like if I forget my name, um, I probably wouldn't have a job. Probably. There's probably <laughs> if I forgot my name every time, I probably wouldn't. There would be a lot of negative things happen in my life. So forget, forget your password. All right, I like that. Fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? One horse-sized duck. Oh, I didn't even think about that one. Yeah. You think you, you think you could take them? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I feel like you can throw a mean right hook. Yeah, definitely can. <laughs> All right. Has anyone ever asked you if you'd like your toast butter? <laughs> if I what? Say, 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 say that you cut out. Has anyone ever asked you if you'd like your toast buttery? Uh, yeah, man, you know, the buttery joke has been going on for a while. Um, <laughs> not original I, at all. It, yeah, I've heard, I've heard it all, man. I, if someone asked me if I want my toast, I had a, I had a frying pan when I ran out to the, when I ran out to the game last year, um, I would come on and like, I get like a sizzling pan of butter, man. So like, dude, I've, I've seen, I've heard, seen it all. So yeah, I, I'm sure someone has, I can't remember the last time, but I'm sure they have. Uh, that's funny. Okay. Would you rather... Get ten thousand dollars right now, or find a penny whenever you reach into your pocket. Well, couldn't I just continue to reach into my pocket for like the rest of my life? I mean, how much? You, you could, but you'd have to make a lot of trips to Coinstar and put it in a jar. Yeah, reach in and get a, a penny every time for sure. Okay. And then last one: Would you rather eat brownies with the chance that there's rocks inside them, or eat an entire jar of mayonnaise? When did you come up with these questions? Oh, God. I, got, I got some time, man. I'm in court. Yeah, these would these would be these are great bullpen questions, man. These are great bullpen <laughs> questions. Um, wow, wow. Uh, brownie with rocks in it. So you're yeah. a risk taker. So just the chance that the rocks don't bother you. Yeah, if I bite into a rock, whatever, I may break a tooth or something. Um, <laughs> we all bit into jawbreakers as a kid. Yeah. I, Jar of mayonnaise is just that's disgusting. I love mayonnaise, but that's gross. That's disgusting. That's bad. <laughs> well, we really appreciate. I know how valuable your time is, and I know you're you know you're at an RV doing your thing right now. So I really appreciate you coming on to the show. This was a blast. Yeah, yeah, no, man, I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks for reaching out. Um, yeah, no, it was it was good. It was good. I had a good time. And for those and for those that don't aren't already following him, uh, he's at Ty Buttery on Instagram and he's at butt underscore Ty on Twitter. Maybe he'll start getting back into the Twitter game yeah, more besides LV the show. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, and then we're gonna hopefully see him in the back end of the Angels bullpen this season. We all we all got our fingers crossed. So um we, we want to see you play, man. So hopefully that's what we can see. Thank you guys. I appreciate that. Yeah. We uh everyone wants to see us play. I want to play. Um hopefully we can get this done. That's you know, that's definitely the goal right now. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time, Ty, and uh, you know we'll talk soon. And good luck this season. No problem. All right, guys. Thank you. Have a good night. Have a good night.